This morning, we are doing a special message because, guess what I did? Our whole, like, three-church series, I just interpreted that to be three weeks. But Jason had actually planned it to be four weeks, so we just busted through those three churches in three weeks, and now I had to come up with something on my own for this fourth week. Because Jason is like, I'm sorry, you're a loser, but... This is what it is. So I was reading this book because I have a good friend. His name is Scotty Young. And he just, I guess he reads all the time. He reads more books than I've ever met someone to read. I mean, he just, every time you say something, he goes, you know, I'm reading a book about that. Or, you know what, I've been reading this book and you should really read it. And I'm thinking, dude, why don't you just record these for us? And then in our leisure time, we can listen. But he didn't want to do that. So anyways, he told me about this book. It's called The Art of Neighboring. And what I thought about this week as I was reading through this book, yes, I do read. As I was reading through this book, I was kind of thinking, you know, this would be a great, a great message for us to ponder in our own hearts about our own neighboring, in our own neighborhoods, so personally, but then also if we move, if the Lord would allow us to move to a new campus, what does that look like in that third space? What does it look for, like for us to be good neighbors in a new space? Will they know us? Or will we just be a church that's located in a new space and we don't know the people that are around us? So we're going to be talking about the art of neighboring. And I think as we um, figure out how this works in our own lives, it will help us as a group, as a family, figure out what it looks like for us as a church to be good neighbors. So where does it talk about being a neighbor or a good neighbor in Scripture? Does anyone have an idea? So that's a good story. I like that one. That's a good neighbor. Yeah, so the Good Samaritan. Some of you may know that story. Some of you may not. Um, good Samaritan, I'm just going to do a, pre a brief overview. It was a parable. So we don't know if it really happened or not. However, Jesus told the story because he wanted to tell the Pharisees who were questioning him what it looks like to really love someone. And so he told a story about this Samaritan who had been beaten up alongside of the road. And then this priest came by and he just was too busy to really help him. So he kept moving past and then this other religious leader went by, and he was too busy, so he went past. I messed up the story. Did you realize that I messed up the story? As I was telling him, I'm like, that's not right. But that is right. It just wasn't the Samaritan that was hurt. It was a Jewish guy that was hurt. And so just cross that out. The Jewish guy was hurt. And so just go like that, move forward. And now a Samaritan goes by. And he looks at this guy who looks at Samaritans as dogs, literally. And he says, I'm going to help you. And so the story of the Good Samaritan was to remind the Pharisees that we're not supposed to look at other people as less, that God looks upon all of us as welcomed into his kingdom, and that we're to love people just as God has loved us. So good story about neighbor. Any other neighbor stories that I can mess up? 
Neighbor stories? Tony's? Right, so who is my neighbor? And so we're actually going to kind of get into that a little bit um, because Jesus gives a commandment because he was, in a sense, tested by the Pharisees once again about who his neighbor or what the biggest or best commandment really is. And that's in Matthew chapter 22. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles on the chairs. You can go online and go to Bible.com. That's an easy way to look it up. We're in Matthew chapter 22. We are going to jump around to some different verses today. So we're departing from our normal, just straight through um, Acts. So we won't be necessarily just going through the Acts like we have before. So this is going to be a little bit more topical today. But I wanted us to focus in on what it looks like to be a neighbor and why it's important. Because if we don't think it's important, or if we don't think that God commanded it, or if we don't think God is inviting us into it, then there's really no reason to do it. So Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40, they say this. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with this reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Paul would later write to the church in Galatia some similar words based on what Jesus had said in Matthew. In chapter 5 of Galatians it says, For you have been called to live in freedom. My brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So we're just going to put this out there. Do you believe that Jesus wants us to love our neighbors? Okay, now let me tell you how we've kind of messed this up in our culture. We have a tendency to take that word neighbor and then we generalize. So within the Christian church, we'll take that word neighbor and we'll go, well, everybody's my neighbor. That sounds okay, right? That sounds like we're really trying to be loving. But the result of that is this. We don't love anybody. Because we don't have a focus. So we see the guy on the street and go, oh, I better love him, he's like my neighbor. We see another person in another country, oh, he's my neighbor, I should love him. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But today what we're going to do is, when Jesus says the word neighbor, maybe he actually means neighbor. You think so? Maybe he actually means the person that lives in proximity to you. 
Maybe he means in your neighborhood. Your neighbor. So who is my neighbor? In order to kind of figure this out, we're going to do an exercise. So um, Sandy and your team, looks like it may be your family. If you can hand these out, you're going to get this sheet. And what this is called is a block. And I got it from these guys, the guys who wrote this book, Jay Pathak and Dave Runyon. They wrote this book, The Art of Neighboring. And this is one of the exercises that they have in their book. And yes, this is going to force you to kind of take a little bit and move into, well, who really is my neighbor? I'm going to explain exactly how this works. If you can't get it done during the lot of time of this message, you can take it home. It can be homework, all right? Don't ever say that we don't have, we're not a church about giving you homework. We give you lots of challenges. Anyone ever feel challenging? Well, I need to challenge more. I think that's what you're saying. Okay. So you're going to be getting the sheet. They have some pins, I think, as well. Um, what this looks like is a block. And I want you to think about two things as you receive this sheet. There should be a block in the middle that says your house or your home. So if you live in a cul-de-sac, you can imagine this just being kind of a horseshoe. If you live on a straight street, you can kind of imagine this kind of going down that street. If you live in a block, you can just imagine the way it is. If you live in a dormitory or apartment complex, you can think about your hall. If you live on an acreage, you can think about the other acreages. It just takes you longer to get there. And then as a church, as a family, I want us to think about that home being the possible new campus of Bethan. But first I want you to just focus on where you live. So, for instance, if you've lived in your neighborhood for 20 years, you may do better at this exercise, but not necessarily than someone that has just moved into a new neighborhood. But again, do we all believe that Jesus wants us to love our neighbor? Our actual neighbors, right? Okay, so on this block, I want you to look around and think, to go to your neighborhood, who do you know? All of these blocks, there's about eight of them. Do you know in proximity, so don't cheat, so you can fill this whole thing out and go, well, I know eight people. You know your neighborhood. Your little street, your little block. Who are the eight closest people to you? And if you know their full name, write down their full name. Go ahead and do that now. If you just know their first name, write down their first name. If you go, I just know them as the couple that lives in the yellow house, put down the couple that lives in the yellow house.
I probably won't give you enough time to really complete the whole thing, but we're going to give you a little time right now just to work through it. Don't be fudging on this and jumping several blocks down because you met that person one time. The eight closest people to you. If you gotta put down neighbor one, neighbor two, that's fine for right now. Maybe if you can identify kind of like color house or brick, that would be good. If you don't know that, that's okay. It just is revealing what we know. This is, do we know our neighbors? Okay, so stop where you are now on that. Because I bet if I said, why don't you tell me eight people that you really like, eight people that are your friends, write them down. We would have been able to be through this exercise like that, right? You could write down family members. You could write, you know, my family, I got six, I'm done. I'm almost there, right? Pop in a couple more, I'm done. But our neighbors. So, now I want you to look at those names. Now tell me something that you know about them. Not that they've got like blonde hair or brown hair. Like, it means that you've actually engaged them in a conversation. Beyond just the... I don't want, they do a head nod real well. Something about those neighbors that you know. Maybe that you know that their parents, that they're taking care of their parents, or that um, they have a beach house. Or you can't, you can't write down, um, they have a really crappy car, or they have a good car. It needs to be not something that you've observed from the outside, but something that they engaged you in conversation and shared. So kind of go through that list of your eight neighbors that you know. I'm gonna guess it's gonna be difficult if it's neighbor one and neighbor two. You may not know anything about them, so that's okay. Just leave a blank space, don't make something up. Okay, now as you are writing, I'm kind of going to move forward because I, I think people are actually writing some things, but I think I'm going to just take a guess that this is where it gets hard. Has it gotten hard? Okay. The third thing. Now write down contact information, a phone number that you have or something like that. Email. Sure. If it's in your phone, if it's in your phone, you can say it's in my phone. Just don't lie, because we are in worship. Not that 
outside of worship, I want you to lie, but I really, you know, in the middle of a message, this doesn't sound good. No. Thank you, Daniel, but that does not work. Okay. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have put people in proximity to us. Challenge us, Lord. Remind us of who we are to represent you. Convict our hearts of ignoring these people, the ones that we don't know. And Lord, for the ones that we do, give us courage to go deeper. Remind us that it's not our power that changes people, but yours. It's not our love, but your love. Lord, help us to see that you have put us in a, in a particular spot for a reason. And may we represent you well. In your name we pray. Amen. So you can take the sheet. Don't throw the sheet away. Don't be frustrated and be like, oh, Aaron did it to me again. You know, throw it away. Chuck it. What I want you to do is that this is an exercise for us to work on. So if you've got a lot of neighbor one, neighbor two, neighbor three, neighbor four, five, six, and I know one or two, um, I would encourage you to look for an opportunity to meet those neighbors. At least get their name. Now, for some of us, it's going to be difficult, right? Because maybe you've lived there for 10 years or 20 years. Maybe you've gone up there and you're like, hey, buddy, you know, I don't know your name. I should, but I don't know your name. Well, guess what? You get to eat a little humble pie. You get to go up there and go, I should know your name, but I've forgotten it. Could you please tell me your name again? Then what I want you to do, especially those of you who are ADD and you need some Ritalin right now, I want you to just focus in and as soon as you get that name, say it to yourself four times. Say it four times. And then go right home to your little block and write their name down. This is going to do a couple things. One, you'll, you won't forget their name. And if you do, you've got it written down. So all you have to do is go, oh, yeah. That's Scott and Jessica. Got it. The other thing it'll do is that you can begin praying for them. See how small of a step this is, but how powerful it could be? Imagine if our Oikos family in our neighborhoods where God has placed us for this time and this place, if we actually started praying for those who are in proximity to us. There's about, Sylvia will correct me on this because I really don't know. There's like, let's say, 70 households then some way and somehow are connected to Oikos. 70 times 8, 560 other households could be prayed for like that. Daily. 
Now, you guys know the multiplication factor, right? Because if just two or three of them catch Jesus of your neighbors, and it's not about them coming to Oikos. It's about them receiving Jesus as their Savior. If just two or three of them are encouraged to do the same, think what would happen to your neighborhood. Just think about the possible change that could happen. Now what I want us to think about is for Bethany. If Oikos has a new campus, we probably need to include more than just eight surrounding neighbors. But what if we as a family really dug in and got to know the surrounding neighbors? What if every neighbor that touched Bethany's campus in some way knew who we were, and we knew their name, and we knew something about them that we could actually be praying for for them. What would that look like in a new place? That's the importance of this block exercise. But the one thing that keeps us from doing this is fear. Isaiah 8, verses 11 through 14 says this, the Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. He said, don't call everything a conspiracy. You know who you are. <laughs> like they do. And don't live in dread of what frightens them. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one you sh who, you should, who should make you tremble. He will keep you safe. For many of us, the reason why we don't connect to our neighbors is because of fear. We don't know what we should say. They may look really different from us. They may be a little crazy. And what more is that we are in proximity to them. So it's one thing to like run down to a homeless ministry serve the soup, and you may never run into that person again. It's a whole other thing when you know that every day you have a chance of running into that person. They'll actually know who you are. So I want you to write those names down. I want you to find out what their names are. I want you to pray for them. And then the third thing for this on this block exercise is look for a way to help. This, don't be crazy about this. This can be really easy. This can be, this is some of the things that I've done for my neighbors. You're going to be like, you don't do that much. But this is some of the things I do. I pull in their garbage can. So I'll be coming in and I'll pull in their garbage can. I'll see a guy out watering with buckets these trees that he planted. This just happened a few days ago. And so I stopped what I was doing, ran over and said, can I help? I think he thought I was going to assault him. <laughs> At first, right? There's fear. There's always fear. And then he's like, yeah. And there are five bucket, you know, five-gallon buckets of water. So I got wet. I had a meeting after that. So I had to go run home and change real quick. But I took the buckets and I dumped it. It took like 15, 20 minutes. 
Now, what do you have to do in order to help? You actually have to make space in your life so you can. You have to make space so that you can be interrupted. Otherwise, the Good Samaritan story happens, right? We're off doing good things. There's nothing wrong with that priest knowing he had stuff to go do. The problem was he didn't have any space to help someone out. How many times has that happened to us? As we're driving home and we're like, we're coming in and we, we're tired from work. We see our neighbor and we have an opportunity to say hi and maybe know something about them. But instead, we just pull in and if we have a garage, we hit the button, we go in. Some of you are like, well, I can't fit in my garage. But I get out of my car real fast and I run in. So you avoid your neighbor. And why do you avoid? Because you've got to get dinner ready, or you've got stuff to do, or the Texans are on. What would happen if we took some of those things that we have to do and we would invite our neighbors into them? You're having dinner? What if you invited your neighbors over for dinner? You don't have to invite all eight. What if you just invite one? What if that became a regular rhythm in your life with your neighbors? What if you made something? Like Sarah is awesome at baking. I don't know, some of you have eaten her pies and her cookies. And I'm really going to take the credit for it because I said, you have, if you're going to marry me, you've got to make good desserts. No. She made good desserts because she loves baking. What if she uses that talent, that thing that she kind of does to be relaxed? What if she leveraged that to love her neighbors? And I'll tell you, she already has. So we do this when new people move in, unless we're a bad neighbor at that time. But when we're trying to be good neighbors, when someone moves in, we make them cookies or we do something and we show up. And sometimes we get a loving response and sometimes they look at us like we are from Mars. But guess what? We're, your, we're the neighbors. We're the crazy family with four kids. We want you to know us. And we want you to know that you're always welcome at our home. Because you're our neighbor. So in order to do this, you have to make it a priority in your life. It means that you can't cut stuff out about loving your neighbor if you actually want to love them. And we started this out saying we all believe that Jesus has asked us to love our neighbor. Do you see how easy it is to say you'll follow Jesus in some ways but not every way? Dude, that kind of cut, didn't it? What's awesome is that Jesus loves us regardless, but he's asked us to represent him. We can only love, we know from 1 John 4, we only love because he first loved us. Every time you love your neighbor, you're representing Jesus. Every time you love your neighbor, you are following Jesus. And you're doing what he said is the second most important thing. First, love God. Second, 
Love your neighbor. Think about all the crazy stuff that happens in your neighborhood. It has a good possibility of diminishing if you love your neighbor. But as people, we always wait for someone else to start. So let's us start. Let's us be the first ones to love. So that's the first thing, this block exercise. Everybody like that? <laughs> Thank you. Woo! Awesome. So take that block exercise. Share it with someone. Do this. And don't just kind of put this in your purse and let it fall under all the other stuff. Guys, don't stick it in your pocket and then have your jeans washed. You don't know what happened to it. Put it out, put it on your fridge. The worst thing that could happen is you'll have all your neighbors over and they'll look up and go, they wrote our names down. <laughs> and then you can say, yes, because we are praying for you. Wow. Wow. How powerful would that be? I have not met too many people that have said, I hate you for praying for me. Wow. So the first thing, block ex exercise. The second thing is a block party. Ooh, does that sound fun? Now you're probably going, wait a minute. I've been to that civic block party before where like three people show up and it's all weird and they've done all this stuff. I'm not talking about that. Um, we have a great example in scripture. It's from Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Do you know who the first one, the first disciple to throw a block party? Who was it? Well, we're going to find out. Look. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi. Who was it? Levi. Levi, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple. Now, there's a whole other sermon right there. Jesus said to him, so Levi got up. He left everything and followed Jesus. Later, Levi held a banquet at his home with Jesus as a guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Who was the first person to throw a block party? And what happened right before he threw that party? Jesus called him and said, come and follow me. Jesus has said the same thing to us. In Galatians, it says, you are called into freedom. Levi was called 
into freedom. Into freedom, not into obligation. Jesus didn't say, Levi, the first thing I want you to do is throw a party for me. But Levi was so excited, he was invited into freedom. He had received life from Jesus. And because he received life, he wanted to celebrate that life with others. So think about in your own life, is there a, a day in the calendar that you could set aside and say, we're going to invite two or more of those eight people into our home. Maybe it's to watch a football game. Maybe you're a big Longhorn fans. There's not much to, never mind. Okay, Longhorn fans. And you're going to have a little party over at your house. Maybe you're A&M fans. Or maybe you're like really cool and awesome and you'll invite me over because you're Husker fans. It can be that, although I may not be your neighbor, but you can invite me anyways, just because I think that would be nice. So you can have something that you would normally do and then you just invite your neighbors into it. It's not a big deal. You don't have to like go find a pig and kill it and roast it. You can just invite your neighbors into something that you're going to do. One, just try it once. So this is your exercise. You have your, your block sheet, right? Your second part of this is that I want you to go in your calendars and pray and pick a date. A date that you will make space. That you're not going to go, oh, we got to go shopping that day. Can't do it. Or, oh, we've got a baseball game, or we've got this other thing, or we've been invited to this other thing. No, you're going to reserve the date and invite people into it. Who's willing to do that? Accept the challenge? Accept the challenge. If I keep staring at you, it's because I think you should. (laughs) Accept the challenge. So accept the challenge. There's power in accepting a challenge because we believe in discipleship. That's a key part of accountability. And when we actually say we're going to do something and other people see that we are going to do that, It means we're more likely to do it. The Christian life isn't about what you do. But let me tell you, Jesus has invited you to represent him. And if we don't invite people into our life, they're not going to hear about Jesus. He's chosen you. Everyone who's a Christ follower, he's chosen you to represent him today. What I love about Matthew or Levi, the tax collector, is that he had felt and embraced that love so much that he was willing to leave it all behind. And what I also love about Jesus in this is that he went in the very spot. He accepted the invitation knowing that people would criticize him for it. So the flip side of this block party is when your neighbors have something significant that maybe you think is insignificant and they invite you, let's be like Jesus 
and follow his way and accept the invitation. Let's go where people may, maybe even within our family, would criticize us for being there. If you haven't been in a place like that where you could be criticized for being at the party, not because you are participating in all the events of the party, but because you're there because you want to represent Jesus. Maybe you need to look for those invitations. Maybe you need to get to know your neighbors so you can have those invitations. So, if the block party idea is just too much for you and you're going, I don't know if I can do this, then start small and just choose one in the eight and invite them over for dinner. You don't have to do something huge. Start small and just do one. God does big things with small steps. You know that people are healed sometimes because one or two people pray. We believe that, right? One or two people pray, small step, and a person is healed. One person shows the hope and the joy they have in Jesus, and someone receives eternal life. We believe that too, don't we? So let's start believing that we can have an impact in our neighborhood by simply inviting people into our lives as we reflect the freedom and the joy in the life that Jesus has given us because of his sacrifice for us. Levi at this time didn't even realize how far Jesus would go. He just knew that Jesus really loved people like him. Someone who had been ostracized. Jesus loved him. He didn't know that Jesus would die on the cross for him. He didn't know that Jesus would raise again from the dead. He didn't know that Jesus would ascend into heaven. Levi probably didn't know any of that, really. He just said, Jesus loves me, who, who I am, when very few others will even talk to me. He's given me freedom, so I'll follow him. And he'd later write the book of Matthew. Pretty, pretty cool stuff. Start small. And let God do the big stuff. 1 Peter 3.15 says this. Instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if someone asks about the hope that you have as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience, conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. My prayer for us as a family is that where God has placed us, we will be a gospel center in that place. And we won't be secretive Christians but that our neighbors will know that we follow Jesus and that we love abundantly, that we are generous because he's so generous to us, that we take risks that may even make us look foolish, but in God's eyes we are wise. 
I want us to be a family that's like that. Because I believe in the small things. In the small things of knowing your neighbor's name. Perhaps they will come to know the name of Jesus. And in his name, we pray. Lord, we thank you for this time that you've given us. You have given us hope. You have given us freedom, and you have given us a chance to follow you. Only because of your blood, your sacrifice, have we received this invitation into life eternal with you. May we not waste it, but may we run after it, knowing that you're there with us, that there's nothing to fear. There's only joy to give. Help us all take a deep breath today, Lord, and as we breathe in, may we breathe in your spirit. And may we leave this place filled with your spirit so that we may do your things, your will, and not our own. In your name we pray, amen.